0: At Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years, no interest, plus five months, no first payment. But only through December
1: 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or call
2: 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at
3: 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, you know, we always say you know, tip your waiters, tip your waitresses, mm-hmm. tip your bartenders. It, it's just the, the right thing to do, right? Correct. All right. I have a story that tells you why it's really the right thing to do because if you don't, there could be some really, really bad consequences. So remember, New Year's eve and into new year's day there was a story about the it, it, down in key west and key west is one of my happy places there's one of the big landmarks is this this big concrete buoy mm-hmm. that's it sits it's called the, the southernmost point in the united states it's like 90 miles to cuba and it's painted and all those different things right so that's that, that's it. And there were these vandals on New Year's Eve. I don't know if you remember the story, but these, these two guys at three o'clock in the morning, they go out and it's, it's in a neighborhood if you've ever been down there. And if you go to Key West, I mean, everybody goes and poses you know, by the, by this buoy. And the, these two guys, about three o'clock in the morning, not realizing that there's cameras that, that are catching all this, they go and they find a disposed of Christmas tree because it's in a neighborhood. So somebody that lives there, had put out the neighborhood. They take the Christmas tree They pull it next to the buoy, and they set the Christmas tree on fire in this Mm -hmm. huge blaze, and they they damage the the buoy. As it turns out, it's over $5,000 worth of damage to this concrete thing. So a a manhunt then searches for the people that have, have done this. Well, they've caught them. They've caught them. It's two yokos. One is uh, these yo-yos, David B. Perkins, of 21, of Leesburg, Florida, and Skylar Ray Jacobson, 21, of Henrietta, Henrietta Texas. They've, they've caught him. Okay, you want to know how they caught them? How? All right, so the pictures, again, are up there. They have a picture mm-hmm. of these guys doing it. Well, no surprise, they were drinking, you know, at one of no. the bars in Key West earlier. One of the bartenders at Kevin's Irish bar which is a one of the kind of crazy bars on on Duval street one of the bartenders looks at it and recognizes them you know why he remembered them why they stiffed him <laughs> he, he said the, he said yeah the, these guys were in the bar They were drinking. It was, it was New Year's Eve. He says packed. They came up. They got three separate rounds. And so I remember that each time they didn't leave a tip for, and he said, so I think these are these guys. So he remembered them in particular, like I said, because they stiffed him. So what he does, he goes to his bar manager and says, you know, I think these are the guys. Um, I've seen the pictures. So then what they do is they go back and they find the credit card receipts because the idiots had put a credit card down for this. And so they find the credit card receipts and they trace it back to one or both of them, and then they call the cops and say, we know who these people are, and next thing you know, these bozos are looking at a couple years in prison.
4: I don't know what the graph looks like for people who don't tip their waiters or bartenders and then also or do other bad things, but I'm pretty sure it's probably a pretty correlated graph right there because if you're not tipping your bartenders or your waiter or waitresses –
2: they
3: right. just not a good person. Right. Always tip. This is, this is what the guy says. He says, I guess always tip your bartender is a good message, I guess, but maybe also don't be an arsonist is also a good message. It is, but it's, I am such, I am a huge believer in karma. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a little while for karma to come around, but, but karma always catches up to you one way or the other. In this particular case, the guy stiffs the bartender. Then go decide it's going to be a good idea to light something on fire, cause this international story, and they get dimed out because they they stiff the bartender. Be nice to your service workers. Be nice to your service workers, especially if you're planning to burn something down later on. Just that's the follow up on the that's the follow up on the story. Okay. Let's get to it. A lot of ground to cover on today's program. It, it, remember, Oh, I don't know. About 10 months ago, when the president of the United States said, This is it. We're, we, we are going to, we're going to defeat this COVID virus. We're, we're going to stop it. We are going to end it. I'm going to do what my predecessor couldn't do. We're going to stop this whole thing. Well, it hasn't worked out very well for, for Joe Biden. And you, you can argue that he had the best of intentions, just like you could argue that Donald Trump did, but the way Biden has dealt with COVID, if the idea has been to stop it, has been, I think, pretty much a complete and total failure. Now, you could argue that there was all sorts of circumstances out of his control, nothing he could do, all. that's all well and good, But if you look at where we are now with the number of infections compared to the number of infections a year ago, and it's hard to argue that we're in any better shape. And maybe you can argue that we're in worse shape if you choose to do it. One of the things that's happened, though, is the messaging around COVID has changed. During the 2020 election, the message was, Trump has hopelessly screwed this up. He does not know what he's doing. Elect Joe Biden and the new Biden administration will come in and they will solve all our problems. We will take care of it. COVID, as a major factor in our life, will disappear. Well, okay, that that hasn't turned out to be very, hasn't turned out well. And trying to sell the idea that, okay, we, we, we have COVID under control right now, is a losing proposition. You've started now to see a shift on a lot of the networks. There's a big story on Fox News about how CNN in particular ha- has now... It's now started to shift to say things that lots of us have been saying for months and months that maybe the real indicator, maybe the things that we need to look at aren't the raw number of people who are testing positive for COVID, but instead the people that are being hospitalized with COVID, the people that are dying as a primary result of COVID. Those are maybe some of the things that we really need to to focus on because COVID is in fact so prevalent. But at the same time, for the vast majority of people, particularly those who are vaccinated and or boosted, if you get COVID, it's not going to get a, be a big deal. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants to feel sick at all. Nobody wants to get the flu. Nobody wants to get a cold, et cetera. But if you are vaccinated and if you are boosted, if and when you get this latest variant, chances are the symptoms will be mild. All right. So that's one of the things that a lot of us have been saying for the longest time is maybe we need to focus not on the raw numbers, but rather on on the impact. And the Biden administration has been slow to adopt it. But now you're starting to to see this change because, again, I think there's a political reality that they promised to take care of covid and they haven't been able to do it. The latest now comes from Anthony Fauci, who, you know, yesterday goes out and he's, he's talking to a Senate hearing. And, and here's what he says. He says, look, this Omicron Coronis variant will infect, and I'm quoting now, just about everybody, regardless of vaccination status. He says those who have been vaccinated will very likely, with some exceptions, do reasonably well. Um, he says that unvaccinated are 20 times likelier to die, 17 times likelier to be hospitalized, and 10 times likelier to be infected than the vaccinated. Those who are still unvaccinated are going to get the brunt of the severe aspect of this. But he says the bottom line is just about everybody is going to get this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If Dr. Fauci is correct in what he's saying now, that pretty much all of us, regardless of our vaccination status, are going to get COVID, this latest variant, and that's his words, not mine, does it change what we do? Now, obviously, vaccinations and boosters stop you from going into the hospital. That's a very, very good thing. And they stop you from dying, which is, in fact, it's a a great thing. But if we're all going to get this, and that is now the message that the government is coming out with, all right, does that mean we need to rethink maybe some of the other advice we're being given? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this is the latest line from Dr. Fauci. If he's correct, what does it mean for us going forward, if anything? More Jeff Wagner right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In, In what I think is a major policy change, Anthony Fauci now comes out and says, hey, we're all going to get covid just about everybody, regardless of your vaccination status, it is going to be infected with this latest variant. Then, of course, he goes on to correctly. I think I hope everybody understands point out that if you get vaccinated and you get boosted, even though apparently he says you're likely to get it you're less likely, dramatically less likely, to end up in the hospital or end up in the morgue, which is all, in my opinion, a great justification for getting vaccinated. It's why people should do it. But, all right, if we're all going to get it, does it change the the dynamic? And we're talking about all these other sort of, like, mitigation things. And I guess my question is, what... If we're all going to come down with this, if this is just this inevitability because there is such – this is so infectious, right, do do we need to, to do different things? Now, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later on about the long lines of testing. I, I think it, it's important – to, you know, get yourself tested. It's important if you're not feeling well to figure out, you know, whether you've got COVID or whether you've got a cold because you don't want to knowingly infect other people. But at the same time, if everybody is going to get it, what does our goal need to be moving forward? And how do we present that and how do we uh, accommodate that? Jeff, if Fauci's comments aren't a wake-up call for the unvaccinated, I don't know what it would be. I guess everyone now is just taking the approach that the deaths among the unvaccinated are just collateral damage of the disease. No, if you're unvaccinated, You you know you're you're playing Russian roulette. You should get yourself vaccinated. But what about all the people that are already vaccinated, already boosted, and now we're all being told that hey you you're be prepared because you're you're probably going to get this because it is so very infectious. Unless of course you're going to lock yourself in in a basement or something like that with sandbags, and nobody's doing it. See, here's the way I think we need to look at this. And I think actually Fauci is absolutely right. I think that for political reasons, we've been looking at it for the longest time in the wrong way. We've been looking at the the number of of COVID cases as opposed to the things that Fauci is now saying. Let's let's pay attention to the hospitalizations, let's pay attention to the deaths, because that's how we're going to figure out where the real significance is, because that's what you want to keep down. I mean, you know, we we don't say and I understand COVID's not a cold, but we don't say, well, how many people got a cold this year? Okay, it's just something you end up living with. And if this Omicron uh, variant is something that as long as you're vaccinated and you're boosted, you can live with, well, maybe we don't need to keep you know panicking people saying, oh, there's this huge wave out here. I think what we have to concentrate on is going back to where we were in the beginning of this, which is flattening the curve. Dr. Fauci acknowledges I think that all these steps that they're talking about aren't going to necessarily stop you from getting COVID. What we can do, though, and what we need to concentrate on doing is spreading out the timing of it so that for the people who are most at risk of being hospitalized, they don't overwhelm the hospital systems. And it seems to me that's where we need to be focusing on the stuff everything we need to be concentrating on is what can we do to keep the people who are most vulnerable out of the hospitals and then, out of the hospitals and off uh, by, by extension, then out, out of the morgues, which is what the, the key stuff needs to be, as opposed to trying to say, well, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to get, you're not going to get COVID because Fauci is saying you're, we can't stop that. You, yeah. Does that mean you don't wear masks in appropriate places? Well, well, no. But at the same time, the reality is we've talked about this is that if you're, especially with the Omicron variant, if you're wearing a cheap cloth mask or one of these cheap paper masks there, maybe it gives you a little bit of protection, but but not much. You know, it's got to be surgical, these N95 surgical masks. Good luck getting them. Good luck finding them. Good luck getting people to wear them appropriately. But yeah, that might not necessarily stop somebody from getting it, but it might stop somebody from getting it right away. So I, I think This is really very interesting yesterday, because to me, it's a sea change in the attitude about how we approach this with instead of going back to Joe Biden saying, I'm going to end the virus. And yes, that's exactly what he said. Recognize that that he can't. That that has been a failure. That was a pipe dream. That was something that was never going to happen. So what our priorities need to do is we need to make sure that we can minimize the effect of the virus as much as we can. And that means trying to keep those who are most vulnerable out of the hospitals. It also, I think, means that lockdowns and stuff like that moving forward make absolutely no sense for anybody who's trying to consider them because lockdowns or no lockdowns, you know, mask requirements or no mask requirements, people are still getting sick. So let's change our focus. Let's figure out how to keep people out of the hospitals. And then, you know, we go from there. Let's try to keep people focused on how we keep sick people Um, away from the jobs just simply long enough so that they don't infect other people who might end up in the hospitals, but at the same time recognizing that we need doctors, we need nurses, we need pilots to fly the planes, we need people back in the workforce. So let's concentrate on that as opposed to obsessing every day about, well, these were the positive number of COVID cases that were out there, that really under the current circumstances, if you believe Anthony Fauci, are probably – absolutely meaningless. Also, the COVID numbers are probably absolutely meaningless now that a lot of people are taking the at-home tests. Well, you know, maybe somebody takes an at-home test and they test positive and they report themselves, but my guess is the vast majority of people don't. You take that at-home test that tells you it comes back positive for COVID, you just say, okay, I'm positive for COVID, and then you Hopefully you stay at home for a couple of days, you follow the recommendations, but you don't get included in some giant government database or something like that. So these numbers and the way we've been looking at COVID, I think, given the current state of science and the current state of this variant, kind of tells us that maybe we need to change our thinking a little bit. And I think maybe we're willing to do this because it sounds like the media is willing to get off its political high horse, recognizing that Right, what well, a lot of us have been saying all along probably is the way to go. We're never going to eliminate COVID. We just have to figure a way to live with it.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: It was one of the more bizarre stories of the the week. Sunday. About 540 in the morning, you had fire. First responders were called after there was this car crash. Car crashes into a, a vacant building in the 600-800 block of North 76th Street. Car catches on fire. Um, the fire eventually spreads to the exterior of the building. So the fire department comes. They they put out the fire. And then the, the vehicle is, is towed away. Vehicles, you know, burned, towed away. Um, apparently, nobody notices that there was a body in the back seat of, of the car. No, no None of the first responders notice it. None of the fire department officials notice it. Nobody, um, again, associated with the towing company, notices that they're towing a car that has a body in the back of it. And it doesn't come out until, I mean, several hours later, when there's an attendant at the tow lot who apparently says, huh, there's a body in the back of this car, which must have been an interesting revelation for this person. And so, you know, they, they still, um, it's a 21-year-old woman, don't know if she was driving, don't know the circumstances. But the the operative question is, how can all these people come out to the scene of something like this, and nobody realize that there is a body? It's a dead body. The body was dead when they arrived, so it's not like there could have been life-saving measures or anything like that. But how can you not notice a body in the back of a car? And the Milwaukee Fire Chief is apologizing for the failure to locate the body, said um, it's his personnel's responsibility. We should have done that. You would just think that somewhere along the line, somebody in this different process would think to look in the back seat of the car. And if you looked in the back seat of the car, you would have found a body in the back seat of the car. Truly bizarre. I'm Jeff Wagner coming up next 80. It's the new 40 or so I'm being told. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Five o'clock yesterday was the deadline for candidates to turn in 1,500 valid signatures in order to be on the ballot uh, for Milwaukee mayor in the primary election in February. There were 12 people who had filed papers indicating they intended to run. At the end of the day, only six were able to submit enough signatures. Interestingly, the first person who submitted signatures claiming that she would be on the ballot was a woman named Aisha Griffin. She's run for a number of offices in the past. In 2012, her slogan when she was running for state assembly was, quote, not the white man's and then it's a word that starts with B and ends with H and rhymes with ditch. So that, that was her slogan back then. She claimed to be the the first person to, you know, turn in the valid number of signatures. Well, all right, what they do is they, they look at them to determine, are you in fact, are they valid? And I, I guess... Um It may be true that Aisha Griffin is not going to be the white man's you know what, but she's also not going to be the next mayor of Milwaukee because they've already bounced her because a number of the signatures she turned in and she turned in 1564. But a lot of them weren't valid. They didn't have addresses and things like that, which raises this, this whole question to me, I guess, of what, what are you thinking? I, I mean, it's not that hard you know, you you go out, you get the signatures, but you you know there's rules. You have to have, like, names, and you have to have addresses, and it has to be legible, and people have to, like, live in the city of Milwaukee. Why you just would turn in petitions where you had, you know, knowing that, oh, there's not an address here or whatever, knowing that it's going to get thrown out is absolutely beyond me. But in any event, after a lot of attention, hey, she's going to be the first one to turn in her papers, well, you know, no surprise, it, it just didn't work out. The six candidates that did at least make the preliminary cut. Now, there will be, I guess, a review of their signatures as well. Cavalier Johnson, Marina Dmitrievik, Bob Donovan, Michael Sampson, who is probably the least known of all the candidates, um, Milwaukee County Sheriff Arnell Lucas, and State Senator Lena Taylor, all presumably will be on the primary ballot. And it's going to be real interesting to see how this all shakes out. My guess is it's going to be Cavalier Johnson and then someone else. The question is who that other person is. And I suspect we'll have an opportunity to talk to at least some of the candidates over the course of the next month or so, but um, not Aisha Griffin. Okay. Hillary Clinton. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal today. It's written by one of the pollsters for, for the Clintons. And he says, look, Hillary Clinton. She's positioning herself, herself for a run in 2024, and you know she's keeping herself visible. She recognizes that Biden's, well, first of all, Biden would be 82, and I, I think you can make an argument that he, right now, what is he, 78 or 79, and he's looking every day of it, but that Biden right now... Very, very low, cratering performance numbers. Not to say that that can't change in the next couple of years, but if he ran right now, it'd be a headwind. Right now, he's an extremely unpopular president. He is old, and he would be even older three years from now. Uh, Vice President Harris her approval ratings are lower than, than Biden's are. She just hasn't been able to get any sort of traction at all. So the point of this article is, hey, Hillary might be out there. She might be willing to come back and position herself as, as an alternative. Hillary Clinton right now is 74 years old. If she were to run again and be elected, she would be 77 when she took office. But that's, that's not perhaps the the most interesting story uh tommy thompson who i consider to be a friend matter of fact i got a nice chance to talk to him at our wtmj holiday show um he was one of the the guests there we got a chance to spend some time together tommy thompson is 80 he's stepping down as the um the interim head of the uw system and I, i can remember talking to him on that that early December, late November night. And he told me he was planning on doing that. And I said, well, you're going to be retiring. He said, no, no, retiring isn't, isn't in my mindset. He said, I got all sorts of other stuff I want to do. So the clickbait headline in the journal Sentinel is Tommy Thompson isn't ruling out campaign for Wisconsin governor after stint at UW. So what happens is, you know, reporters are talking to him and somebody says, well, they just throw it out. Hey, Tommy, would you ever think about running again? And, because, if you know Tommy, he's just that kind of guy. He says, look, everything is on the table. I'm not saying it's in the cards, but I'm physically and mentally capable of doing anything. Now, that then becomes the headline, Thom C. Tom- Tommy Thompson not ruling out running for governor. But, I mean, trust me on this one. Tommy Thompson is not going to run for governor. Tommy Thompson just gets asked this question and he never wants to close any sort of doors because why 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 would you close a a door what's the purpose in saying well no there's no circumstance i'd ever run for governor no tommy likes kind of stirring the water and stuff i would be i would be willing to bet you all the money in my wallet right now versus all the money in yours that um tommy thompson will never run again for governor um, it's just, I think whatever he's going to do, I think it's going to be something different. But Tommy Thompson is 80. Hillary Clinton, if she were to run and be elected president, would be 77. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I cannot tell you how strongly I feel, and I, look, I'm, I'm a fan of Governor Thompson's I, a huge fan of him, not so much a fan of Hillary Clinton, I, I think, but in, in the cases of both of them, from a political perspective, I, I think their, their time has come, and I think their time ha- has gone. I think this idea that we keep sending people back to the U.S. Senate in their 90s and 80s, that we... Elect people to be president who are in their upper 70s or their 80 s. I, I think it's crazy. At some point in time, I think you need to make way for a younger generation. And so if you were to ask me, "Gee, do I think Tommy Thompson should run?" Again, my answer would be no. Governor, you've had a distinguished career. Find something else you want to do, but but you know, your time as the governor is past. Hillary Clinton, I would say the same thing, too. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time for a younger generation of politicians to to take over? We discuss.
2: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Joe Biden is 78. Some days, I, I think... He looks somewhat vibrant. Other days, he looks all of 78. There's just no question about it. And I I think you can't argue that he's he's slowing down. But, you know, when you get to be that age, people tend to slow down. Um, Hillary Clinton there's people talking about her running again in 2024 if Biden falters or doesn't run for re-election she'd be 77 Tommy Thompson and, and I, Tommy was not declaring for governor he was just I think having fun with the, the local TV reporters around here saying well I, I, I'd I be up to it I mean I'm not ruling anything out Tommy I don't think has any intention of running for, for governor but he'd be 80 years old and, and yes for all the Trump haters who are texting me yeah Donald Trump um, if he were to run again three years from now he would be 78 when he takes office which again my question is isn't there room for a younger generation are our choices really now just people who are 80 years old or almost 80 years old 855-616-1620 let's start with mike in illinois hi mike you're on wtmj good
0: afternoon jeff how are you i'm good what do you think well um my brother went to marquette and he did some work for tommy thompson and he said Big guy, uh, and my brother's a Democrat. Yeah. Um, I don't feel age should be a factor. I feel if the person is competent and they're, as he said, physically and you know mentally able. I mean, I think you're right that he was just kind of joking, but yeah. um, I don't think age should be a factor. If the person is able to and is, you know. Um, physically able to do it,
3: then I don't think age should should stop it. So when you see some of these senators who are announcing that they're running for re-election and they're 86 and they'll be 92 when they they leave office and they're going to get re-elected because there's not going to be a challenge from their party and they live in a state that's either heavily Republican or heavily Democrat, so it's really a position for life. I mean, don't you think there's, we have mandatory retirement ages in, in private business all the time. Why don't we have that in politics? Sure.
0: Well, uh, obviously, it's a different animal. Um, and, you know, once people get that power in the, some of those positions, it is hard to remove them. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if, if a person is, you know, thinks, I mean, I'm sure some of them don't think they're, you know, think they're able to do the job. They think they are able to do the job. Yeah. But I would hope that most, if they feel like they can't, they should, you know, pick somebody and, you know, kind of endorse somebody else that might
3: be younger, would yeah. probably be younger. Yeah. Um, no, I'm so with you, Mike. I see. I understand what problems. you're saying, but th- but that's that's not how it works as a general rule. I mean, you, you, yes, you, you have some people who sit there and say, OK, well, it's I, I've reached this point where it, it's time to fresher ideas or it, it's time to, like, to pass the torch to the younger generation. And then you have other people who are just, I think, so consumed with, with the power and their ego is such that they, they just, you know, cannot give it up. So it's here, I'm, I'm going to die in this job, and which is one of the reasons why you see so many people in, in both the House and the Senate who are just entrenched in, in safe seats, who have no intention of going anywhere. And I guess, my, I, do, do I think we necessarily need to say, well, if you're over 80, you, you shouldn't be able to serve? No, not necessarily, but I guess... I would think that you would reach a certain point where you would know yourself. Hey, it's it's kind of time to move on, and let's turn it over to some of those young whippersnappers out there. Let's find that sixty-five-year-old and and have have them run. Now, I understand that you know you've got some people in the quote-unquote younger generation. You know the the AOCs of the world, and I'm not saying you turn control of the world over to them, but there's. There's a young, there are younger generations of people who are either you know conservative or liberal and they're not nuts and yet they're they're kind of blocked by the, you know the, the same old names that ke- you keep hearing again and again and again. Is there anybody now for, for those of you who are Biden lovers? Search your heart. I mean, you 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 watch the you see the guy and you listen to some of the speeches that you give he gives. Do you really? Do you really think that, hey, you know, at the age of 82, he should be running for reelection where we can see what, where he is now at the age of 78 or 79? Let, let's face it, this is going to happen to all of us. We, very rarely age like fine wine. And for most people, my guess is if you're 60 years old and you were being honest, I'd say, hey, you know, are your reflexes just as good as they were when they were 30? Or is your eyesight just as good? Is your hearing just as good? And the answer is going to be no. Again, I was going back to the point I was making with Mike a couple minutes ago. In businesses, it is not uncommon at all especially on the executive level to have, you know, mandatory retirement ages 65, 67, whatever at that point in time, you, you don't you don't have to go home, but you can't stay there. But yet that appears to be just kind of the, the prime time. If you're elected to the US Senate and you're 68 years old, get ready to serve for another four terms. Let's talk to Kathy in Waukesha, Kathy, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hi. I you know, this is such a good topic about Where are the young people? Every time I see Biden, I mean, I feel like he's being held up by sticks under his arms or something. He's just
3: well, sometimes, well, okay, sometimes off on a cloud. well, sometimes, well, I, sometimes I watch the speeches and I think, oh, he, he's really kind of with it. Other times I think, hey, he's he struggling, but, but he's 78 years old in a very, very stressful sort of job. If he was working at a law firm, chances are he would have had mandatory retirement 13 years ago. And, and I don't mean to be political about it, Kathy. I mean, I think you can, you, you can point to people in the Senate who are in their eighties and stuff and you go, my God, these people, they can't keep that. They're, they're just, At 85, they maybe look great for 85, but they're 85 years old.
1: We desperately need some new blood, some new ideas. I mean, these people are out there, young, aggressive, opinionated, educated, young people. Why don't they come forward? Can't they see what us older people see? I mean, Biden, when he is following that teleprompter, eh, he's, he's awake. He can read. But when you take him away from that teleprompter, the man can't put two words together. So doesn't this wake up the young people? Don't they think, man, I could do a better job? And, and well, doesn't that light a fire in anybody to at least try? Well, I, you the, know, I'm just No, I'm blown I get it, away. Kathy.
3: No, well, the problem is it's part of the reality of politics. And, and again, the, the people that keep getting reelected in these situations. And you can find exceptions. But, but in general, it's, it's a, an entrenched senator from a heavily Democratic state, Democratic state, California, for example, okay, and unless, or, you know, Republican state. Again, I'm not trying to make this political, but so you, you have somebody who doesn't want to give up the seat, wants to kind of hang in there, and unless you can have some younger candidate that is going to risk their political career by taking on an incumbent politician in their own party who has probably a ton of money and has built up a ton of favors... And if you if you get into that kind of race, that primary race, you're probably committing political suicide because you're number one, not gonna win, and number two, you're gonna make a lot of enemies that are out there. We just have this system that perpetuates the, this idea. And I, I again, I, I understand I, I get into the personalities when I use the example of like Hillary Clinton and Tommy Thompson. Again, I don't believe Tommy Thompson seriously thinking about running. This was just him kind of, I believe, kidding around with the, the press. But, but it does underscore this thing about where are the next generation of leaders. Let's talk to uh, Dave on the south side. Hi, Dave. Dave. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think?
4: Uh, uh, I think, Jeff, so for president, uh, they have to be older to have the experience because on the Republican side, we did have some younger candidates that ran against Trump with that, and they went nowhere. Jeff, they went nowhere at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. they yeah. just don't have the experience. They don't have the uh, wherewithal.
0: You know, no wherewithal. Think, is,
3: wherewithal yeah, yeah. is different than, than experience. Uh, well, Dave, I mean, think, look. I mean, here, here's here's the problem, Dave. And I, when, when you say that they don't have the experience, well, okay. There are there are all sorts of there are all sorts of generations of leaders who, for example, if you want to look at potential presidential candidates, so let let's talk about 2016. You had a, a huge I thought you had a very, very deep and impressive slate of Republican candidates, the va- many of whom were in their 40s and their 50s and their early 60s. And now, now they got overrun by the, the whole Trump you know the celebrity stuff and, and things like that. but but that doesn't mean that, that they shouldn't be out there running again. I, I look at the governor's race here um, and, and you have, some very, very attractive candidates on the Republican side. Rebecca Clayfish, um, she's young, she's energetic, she is conservative. I think she's the leader in the clubhouse. She's raised a ton of money. There's a couple other people who now that Ron Johnson says he's running for reelection, they're talking about getting in. I I you know if they do, they do, if they don't, they don't but I think this is Becky Clayfish's race to lose, but they're all all younger. It's that next generation of leaders. You've always got to be looking to me for for where is the bench, and instead, here we are with inflation through the roof, with the COVID problem just completely and totally out of control, with the borders out of control, with the, the u s foreign policy just a complete and total mess, Afghanistan and all these other things. I could go on and on and on listing all the problems of the last couple years. But, you know, and we're talking about, well, bringing back some some retread of this person or that person on the right or the left. At some point in time, you need to say you need new ideas. And at some point in time, I think you need to say to some of these political leaders, there's a sell-by date. Do yourself a favor, do your constituency a favor, and move on. This is Jeff Wagner. WTMJ, W277CV, and WKTI
2: HD2 Milwaukee from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: Coming up in the next hour of the program, the governor says, Well, I'm not going to remove John Chisholm from office. No surprise there the larger question though is do we really want chisholm removed from office i mean he's made no secret of his policies which are essentially turn people loose let's try to avoid incarcerating criminals unless live from the annex wealth management studios
2: at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now
3: wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the program there are There are some things that are difficult, I understand for people to get their heads around and sometimes when we talk about the national debt it's it's or you know um how much we are borrowing or how much a trillion dollars is or two trillion or three trillion dollars is the the amount of money is just so large that you you can't wrap your your head around it you can understand if gee the price of gasoline goes from you know a dollar 97 to four dollars you can understand that i went from a dollar 97 to four dollars but you can't fathom you know exactly what it means when we're talking about billions or or trillions of dollars of spending or borrowing or or whatever and and that's one of the things that i think is getting lost in this debate about inflation and during mike's newscast we we had a, a talk about that because the, the new numbers are out with regard to inflation, and they're they're awful. Uh, today, the report came out that the U.S. closed out 2021 at the highest level of inflation since 1982. The Labor Department said the Consumer Price Index, which measures what we pay for goods and services, rose 7% in December from the same month a year ago. So things, the same stuff, cost 7% more in December of 2021 than it did in December of 2020. And and that's increasing. It was like 6.8% in November. So it's going up. This is the fastest pace since 1982 and also marked the third straight month in which inflation exceeded 6%. What's more... More and more of the experts are finally coming to this conclusion that contrary to what Joe Biden was trying to talk about, was trying to sell to the public early on, that this is not a, a transitory thing. That is, it's it's not a temporary thing if temporary means a, a couple months. And lots of people believe, lots of really smart people on both sides of the aisle believe that this inflationary spiral is going to continue um, certainly, through next year and, and maybe through the next couple of years, as costs go up now there's there 's a lot of reasons for this I mean the easy credit you know giving people money to to spend on goods is certainly one thing you know federal reserve policy about you know keeping interest rates artificially low. That encouraged people to, you know, buy stuff, take out car loans, you know, refinance their houses, buy houses, et cetera, um, because the the Fed was keeping stuff artificially low, making money artificially cheap. That's inspired people to maybe maybe buy stuff that they, they shouldn't buy. Then you've got the supply chain shortages, you've got the worker shortages that are caused by COVID. But all in all, it's this toxic mix of price increases but because it's this concept inflation
0: this is jeff wagner on wtmj Eight
3: five five let us talk to um chris in madison chris good afternoon
5: hey jeff hi chris um uh really thank you yeah. hey I uh, really appreciate you taking the call. Sure. I You know, I was just turning the radio on when I heard this, and I mean, I um, I'm a home builder in the area, and um, you know, we had a project. What just, just this is just one of many where uh, lumber. We were told it's going to be whatever the price is on the day it was delivered. Okay. Uh, Forty six thousand dollars, basically out of my pocket to to fulfill a contract on a house. Um with just Mm -hmm. no rhyme or reason. That was just the lumber package. It's copper. It's anything with steel. It's, um, you know, you hear all this clamoring, we need affordable housing, we need affordable housing. And, you know, between the way they keep writing the codes and with what's going on, the new home is becoming, you know, it is, it's a luxury. Yeah. It's, It's just, it's gotten ridiculous. And now, you know, the new contracts we have, I mean, I can't believe what I can actually charge. And we have clauses in there, whatever it costs it costs i, I can 't control it i can 't go out of business or there won 't be anybody left
3: <laughs> well so so but I guess the question you know, then, be, just, yeah, like, to it. me though chris then the question becomes if i if i 'm looking to build a house. How 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 do you even do something like that? If I if I have okay a, a budget that I right I I, I want let, let's say I can afford I can get financing and I can afford three hundred fifty thousand dollars for a house whatever that number might be, and then I come to you and you say well look I I don't know how much these goods are going to cost so yeah we we can design it for three hundred fifty grand but you know what by the time you know it actually all is said and done it, it might be four hundred fifteen or four fifty I mean I how do homeowners and I'm not faulting you but how do homeowners reduce stuff like that or home-built buyers do stuff like that
5: it, it's just setting the right expectation up front you know that I see you know we see what's going on and, and just have to set the expectation that if you know some you know if somebody's expectation is I want X amount of house uh, with these details and this I've got a pretty good idea what it's going to cost on a per square foot prices and right. I can just tell you we can start heading down that road and I'm gonna price it but I'm gonna also price it in with a ten percent contingency that is an allowance to you and if we don't use it we don't use it, um, right. it it's uh, otherwise it has to be there to cover it sure otherwise we can't get your house done and you, you know you could have liens on it and people are very understanding and what i've been seeing is i've never seen so many people want to build a home i mean it's it's like almost the forbidden fruit huh. where uh you know so many people tell you no you start panicking and oh my god i'll I'll do whatever the builder says i mean it's gotten a little crazy and uh, i hope that middle ground gets yeah. met here and we get some people coming into the trades too because it's really getting
3: scary well right you got the cost there you know and the other interesting thing chris in, in your industry is going to be you have benefited the home building industry like a number of industries has benefited for from years and years of really really low interest rates i mean i i remember when i yeah. bought my first house in 1998, 1988 and and i can remember i i think that the 30-year mortgage i i, I want to say it was close to 10 percent it, it could have been a little Bit less, and we ended up taking out an adjustable rate mortgage for five years, and, and ultimately rates came down. And it worked out okay. But, but people, there's an entire generation of buyers that have been used to, oh, we, we can get a mortgage for two and a half or three or three percent or three and a half percent. I think those days are quickly yeah. going away, um, which is going to be the other yeah, I issue. I
5: think you're right, yeah, yeah, that this has something has to quell this, and it's, um, you know, when inflation's out of control, raise the interest rates and you'll, you know, you'll slow it down. But hopefully our economy and world can right. handle this. And that, you know, I've seen statistics where home building, when it's good, represents a very large percentage of the economy, whether sure. it's home improvement, uh, you know, the, the stores, people selling sure. in, uh, the insurance, the banks make money. Furniture stores, appliances, there's, there. I mean, it just spreads very, very far. And when that slows down, it really, you know.
3: <laughs> no, no, I no, thanks. No, I appreciate it. And I, I guess it, this is one of those things. Now, again, there, there's a, I think you can make a strong argument that rates, interest rates have been artificially low, and, and now for for too long a period of time, and now we're starting to see the, this loosening, which I think is probably appropriate, but But this is, this is, this is the problem that's out there. And for industries, again, like, like Chris, I mean, he's going to be in this situation where somebody wants to buy a house and you sit there and you do that finance, build a house and you do the financing and you say, okay, well, you know, if we could get a mortgage rate at 3% over 30 years, that means we could afford the monthly payments on a house that's worth that we can build for four hundred thousand dollars. Well, okay, if that interest rate is now five percent or six percent or whatever that's going to be, oops, um, that that house that we wanted to build for four hundred thousand dollars. Well, all right, we we got to scale that back dramatically. Gianni and Montello, Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Sure.
4: Yeah. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen, this has been going on for, for about nine, eight, nine months now. And so I, I, we're just we're just uh, pulling back and, and not spending as much. But but it does beg the question. And you, you said that our, our interest rates have been artificially high. How did we get here in the first place? And don't we don't we need to blame our, 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 our president and the Federal Reserve in the last, uh, you know, perhaps 15 years mm-hmm. for keeping interest rates so low? I mean, what did they think would happen? And it seems to me that in the 1970s, uh, when we had inflation, interest rates were very
3: high. How did we get here, and who's oh yeah who's running the store? Well, Johnny, interesting historical question. You're right. I mean, we we saw we saw you know during I think probably going back to what 2008 or 2009 when you had that the you know the the big. Crash and the recession and things like that, you know, in order to keep the economy rolling, what you had is this decision that we 're going to ha- we 're going to make money really, really cheap to encourage people to make investments and things like that and I, I think you can make an argument that we we have overdone that, and now those chickens are starting to come home to roost but you know it 's not only the big picture that 's out there with regard to uh, you know the, the home building and stuff like that. But it's, it's just the average prices of, of, of doing stuff. And, you know, inflation is very, very, the word we use is regressive. And that means it impacts poor people more than it impacts rich people. What do you mean, Jeff? Everybody's got to buy the stuff. Well, all right, if you are in a, you know, if you have a certain income or certain money saved. Look, nobody likes to spend more money for the same amount of goods, but if you go to a grocery store and your your typical weekly food budget is, let's say you're, you're used to spending $80. Was that the example I gave before? Okay, now all of a sudden, that $80 to buy the same sort of stuff, it costs you now $110. Well, if, if you are a family of, of means, you say, okay, well, I, I don't like spending that extra 30 bucks, but I can afford it. I, I can do it. Don't like it, but fine. We'll do it. Well, the people, though, that, that for that 80 bucks is is 80 bucks, and it's tough to get more. Now, to get the same sort of stuff, they've got to come up with that extra $30, which means they either have to, I guess, if they want to keep their spending at 80 bucks, that means they have to get a lot less stuff than they used to, or they've got to figure out where that extra $30 is coming from. So it, it's really, in many respects, it's a tax on poorer people with this high level of inflation, and it's really, I think, going to hit home once people see that. Now, I I don't do this. I've said this before. I don't do the shopping in our family, so I I just... Do I know what it cost what a gallon of milk costs? Yes, I do. But you know, my, my wife will come home and she says, I can't imagine I can't believe how much more expensive groceries have gotten. Now, for us, again, it's one of those situations where we're thankfully it's we don't we're not having to cut back at this point in time. We we can afford it, but at the same time, you go, oh My gosh, these how how do people that are feeding a family if you if you've got yourself and your spouse and three or four kids, you know how you know, and you're really it's not just you know you and your spouse but you know you're you're feeding six people you know where is that dough coming from and i understand that people have gotten raises and that's that's good if you're on social security you you got what, an almost 6% increase or something like that last year? And so that that's fine. It's a cost of living increase. But what people don't understand is it is a cost of living increase. It's designed to just keep you even. And in the cases of some things like drugs and medical stuff like that, that that's gone up way more than 6%. This is, it's a huge issue. I appreciate that right now it's still just, this theoretical thing to a lot of people. But once you start seeing interest rates dramatically increase and once you start, people start realizing that, hey, that the cost of, of goods has gone up. This thing that I used to buy for three bucks now is four fifty, and it's not going down. That's going to be a huge political factor. And candidly, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, inflation, uh, Inflation was a huge issue in the 60s. Inflation was one of the things that undermined, I think, Gerald Ford's term. It was one of the things that undermined Jimmy Carter's presidency, um, undermined the first portion of the Ronald Reagan presidency. Um, Inflation's a big deal, and you might not think about it yet, but it's going to, I think, be a bigger deal as we move forward.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: We're scheduled to be joined by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson to talk about the reelection campaign. That's coming up in about a half hour or so, so stay tuned. Uh Hopefully the interview with, uh, with Senator Johnson will go a little bit better than, uh, former President Donald Trump's interview went with, with NPR the other day. Apparently yesterday he was doing this interview and he ended up, it was supposed to be a 15 inter- minute interview. He ended up hanging up after nine minutes because he was being pushed about, you know, the, the, the claims that the 2020 election was, was rigged against him. If I were to give any advice to former President Trump, who, Wouldn't listen, or to any other Republicans running for state or national office in Wisconsin in 2022, and some of them might listen. I I think you got to get past that this election was was rigged stuff. I mean, let's let's let us frame the issue: the no election is perfect, but there is no evidence of any sort of significant election fraud which would call the results of the 2020 presidential election in Wisconsin or other states into question. And, and, And everybody needs to accept that premise and move on now if you want to say that there were some questionable practices that were engaged in in some communities i i understand that and i think that, that that's fair to say and that's why either the supreme court or the governor and the legislature need to get together and they need to say what is the law with regard to democracy in the park or something like that but but you this idea that, you know, if in order to be a true Republican, you have to believe that the election was stolen or believe that there was widespread fraud. People need to move on from that. And, I mean, I guess President Trump, I mean, keeps repeating the same stuff over and over again. And I understand that he doesn't want to accept the fact that he lost, but, but he lost. And and I think this is, it's just a fool's errand to follow President Trump down this particular rabbit hole. People need to be talking about the future, and that would be November of 2022, instead of still trying to unsuccessfully relitigate um, the election in November of 2020. So there. Coming up next, how frustrated are you with the current state of COVID testing? I'll explain. We'll discuss.
2: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: So very glad to have you with us. You know, yesterday we we did a segment on the the 12 o'clock hour that really – I, I continue to be swamped with emails and, and texts uh, about this. As as we, we start to evolve in our approach to to COVID, um, and I think, again, just like I think it's fair to criticize Donald Trump for some of the stuff that, that he did in the first year of of, of COVID, I, I think there, there's some people who just refuse to acknowledge that, that Biden has made several major blunders when it comes to dealing with COVID as well. But just like you can argue maybe that Trump was – failed to appreciate the significance of this, um, you know, one of the big failures, I think, of the Biden administration has been the, the failure to get us in a system where, where we have reliable, accurate and quick testing, which right now is the key. As we started off this program, you know, Anthony Fauci is now out there saying, look, reality is with this Omicron variant, everybody's going to get it. That's just the truth. You want to be vaccinated and boosted because if you get it, chances are you're not going to be in the hospital. Chances are you're not going to be in the morgue, which to me you know, makes a lot of sense. But, but you're going to get it. That's what he's saying. Everybody is going to get it. So if we're going to flatten the curve, if the concern now becomes how do we stop so many people from getting it at once that they overwhelm the hospital system? besides getting vaccinated and boosted which is, i think is an important thing the the key then is quick reliable testing if you if you've been exposed now first of all if if you feel sick you know don't go to work you know don't go out in public you know it doesn't matter whether you think you've got the cold or the flu or covid if you feel sick just stay home until you feel better that that's i think one of the easy things but for people who are asymptomatic, in other words, they feel just absolutely fine, but they might've been exposed to somebody who had COVID. Well, that's where, I mean, testing becomes important. The idea of, okay, well, I don't think I have it. There's no indication I have it, but you know, maybe I do, so I wanna get a test. Okay, that's all well and good. But if you get the test, you gotta get results back in a meaningful, quick fashion. Or else the test itself becomes meaningless. I mean, if you, gee, I don't know, you know, my, my spouse tested, tested positive for COVID yesterday. So here I'm going to go in and get a test on Friday. Then, but it's going to take me till the next Wednesday to get those test results back. It, it almost becomes useless because if, if you don't get the results till Wednesday, what, what difference does it make how you were on, on Friday? And is it really realistic to say, okay, you've got no symptoms on Friday, but here we want you to stay home, Mr. Airplane Pilot, Ms. Airplane Pilot. You know, don't go into work, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So the, the key is to try to get these results back quickly. Also, the, the truth is, as responsible as we want to be, you've got to make stuff easy. There's a picture, uh, it's one of the videos in the Journal Sentinel's online, and they're, they're just showing cars that are lined up for block after block after block, waiting to get into one of these COVID testing places on on Mill Road, and, and you know, it's fine that they're offering the COVID testing, but I'm looking there thinking, you know, how many people are realistically going to sit and wait for an hour or an hour and a half or two hours to, to get a COVID test and then, you know, be willing to wait for another couple days in order to get the results. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about the the whole testing process, and I, I understand that we've got an overwhelmed system. I understand that there's not enough rapid tests that are available, and I understand that the labs are, at this moment, overwhelmed. But unless we figure this out, and unless we were prepared, and I guess that's my criticism, that we were not more prepared for this, because right now, is it reasonable to expect people to, you know, wait four or five, six days in order to get the results of, of one of the more definitive tests? Is it reasonable to expect people to wait in line for hours in order to you know get the test performed 855-616-1620 that's the academic mortgage talk and text line and i think you know the upshot of this is that you know if people are unable to get the tests easily or get the test results quickly. What you see is people are just carrying on. They're, they're going to work. They're getting on flights. They're going out to dinner. They're they're just continuing to live their their life, which means this spiral of COVID is going to continue. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Have you gotten caught up in this 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 whole issue of of testing? Which I actually continue to believe it's a, it's a good idea, but it only works if you get results in a timely fashion, and it's easy to do. We discuss in a moment.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: 855-616-1620. Jeff, in Los Angeles, you can get results in 15 minutes if you pay... $195. $195. I had to wait over an hour to get tested for work. Those who didn't pay had to wait over three hours to get tested. As with many other areas, the local stores do not have enough home kits either. Well, that's, I mean, that, that that's the thing. And the question becomes, how many people, even if you're trying to do the right thing, if you're, how many people are going to wait in a line for, for three hours? hours, especially if you don't, if you don't have any symptoms. If it's just been, okay, well, I was around somebody who tested positive for COVID. See, this is what the epic failure of this is. If we're trying to flatten the curve, which is now, I think, what we're talking about, you you have to be able, you have to make it number one, easy for people to get the tests. And number two, you have to make the results available to them in a timely fashion across the board. Let's start with Carrie and Jefferson. Carrie, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hey, Jeff. Hi, Carrie. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I followed this. Um, Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yeah, I
3: can. Go ahead. You're on the air.
1: Great. Okay, yeah, sure. I followed the testing, gosh, for the last year plus, And I think I just want to share my disappointment with um, the rollout where these tests were approved back in May. And when I look at other countries and what they've done, you know, to get the test in every home, in every mm-hmm. school, in every business. Um, and really for quite cheap, I think over in the U.K., you're looking at $1 to $3 per yes. test. Yes. And, you know, there, I, was, I think there's been actually a lot of physicians um, those who are the testing growers that develop these that have been screaming from the rooftops since May that they can't believe that we have not utilized these rapid antigen tests that's the way that we could and the way that the rest of the world has. So I, I'm not sure who to blame, but I think it's it's always been there. It's been ready. They've been available. They just have not been utilized.
3: Yeah, you know it's interesting. You, you talk about the cost. You're you're right. The numbers I have seen is that in in general in Europe, you can get the, these kits that we pay twenty four dollars for you can get essentially the same kit and it costs you uh, somewhere between one and three dollars you know um and and you wonder why why is it so much more expensive here in the united states what are they doing what did they know in europe that that we didn't know here and the answer is is nothing they just they just uh, uh, anticipated this and dealt with it right yeah, no. Thank-
1: well, and even just using some of our COVID funds on it, too. You know, where did the COVID funds go? And we had all this money. You know, it would have been really nice to be able to essentially stockpile these and have them ready in our homes instead of driving to three different communities and everybody running to get these tests. And our family alone has spent 200 on tests in just two weeks.
3: Really? I mean, as far as like buying, you're, oh, talk, yeah. you're talking about like buying the over-the-counter stuff. Is that yep. and just that's the cost? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, no, thank, thank. Yeah, two hundred and, if
1: you and find alone, them. and you know, loaning them out to your neighbors, right. and it's kind of become the black market. I mean, it's a joke, but it's not right. Well, no, <laughs> so thank you. Thank no, you thanks time.
3: For, no. It, it, well, that's the other thing that's out there, and that's one of the things that kind of irritates you when you go on eBay and stuff, and you see people that are are, are selling the, these COVID kit, the, the COVID test kits, the rapid test kits, and you know they paid eighteen to twenty four dollars for them, and they're selling them for fifty, just like. You, you want to have an interesting exercise. Here's my challenge to some of the, the news media out there. If you're looking for stories, all right, the city of Milwaukee gave out a, a boatload of the N95 masks, and they gave them out for free over the course of the last couple of days. They, they ran out of them in like 48 or 72 hours. People lined up to get the N95 masks. Here would be my challenge for some intrepid investigative reporter. Go on eBay and try to figure out how many people that got those free masks from the city are now turning around and reselling them on eBay for stupid amounts of money. I just, I I throw that out there. It would be an interesting investigative piece because, you know, I believe that you will find certainly examples of that. Let's talk to Bruce on the South Side. Bruce, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, uh, I
4: told your screener that uh, I've been twice to a clinic in Franklin.
3: Uh-huh.
4: It's called uh, uh, Summit Clinical Laboratories, and they even advertise outside same day results.
3: Mm-hmm. Do you know? And I've been there twice already. And have, how much? Do you know how much they've? You're being charged for that, or is it covered by Medicare well, or something? I wasn't charged. Okay.
4: Well, I wasn't charged anything. Right. So I don't know. It's, uh, you know you give them your information. Right. So maybe Medicare did pay for it. Got it. But as far as a uh, regular cost, I wouldn't know what that was. But that's one place where you could get uh, same day results. You mm-hmm. know.
3: Yeah. Um. Then thanks for calling. And, and I'm and I'm sure there are places like that that are out there. And see, and that's that to me is, is the key. I was telling the story yesterday or two days ago or whenever. I mean, I I know people who. The, the policy of their workplace is that if you have, if you've been exposed to someone with COVID, right, you got a quarantine and you, even if you have no symptoms, you've got a quarantine for two days and you're not allowed back into the workforce, it, it'll tell you you've had a negative test result. Not not a negative over-the-counter thing, but, you know, one of the, the, the PCR or whatever, the, the the ones that, you know, they do at the labs, which, which is all well and good. So, okay, you, you do the right thing. You call up your boss or bosses and say, okay, here's the deal. Um, you know, my, my spouse, you know, she, my spouse has COVID. And so obviously we've been in close contact. I don't have any symptoms. I'm, I'm quarantining here. I've gotten the at home test that I just went to Walgreens and spent 24 bucks on. That comes back negative. And they say, okay, well, that's well and good, but you can't come back until you, you get, you know, one of the other, you know, the, the other type of test. Now, you know, Bruce says he was able to turn it around and get it right away, and that's great. I mean, you know, but that's, I think, I think that's atypical to most people's experience. I think most people, you you call up and you have to find a place that can do the test for you, and then it takes a while, maybe a day or so to get in there, and then you find yourself caught up in the whole process of it. It takes a few more days to get the result. And and I I understand that labs are overwhelmed. I get this. But we've been unprepared for this, and I think what's ending up happening is if testing is going to work, it's got to be easy. It's got to be tests readily available and it's got to be the results returned quickly or else people just aren't going to do it. I mean, I can I can just imagine a situation where somebody, hey, I feel fine. Now, If you feel sick, you, you got it. You should be staying home. I feel fine. Um, I, I know I'm supposed to quarantine, but um, who's who's going to? you know, what's going to happen to my paycheck if I, if I'm not at work, especially for employers that, you know, don't, don't give you time off if you're quarantining, if you don't absolutely have, you know, the COVID or something like that. So you're in a situation where you got people saying, okay, well, yeah, I feel fine. Um, I've taken the at-home test that says I'm negative. I'm, why bother telling anybody? I'm just going to come in. And, you know, if we're trying to stop the spread in order to flatten the curve, well, you know that that's not a good thing to do. You know, you you want to proceed, at, you want to proceed as efficiently as possible, but you you can't be expected to just kind of wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And I think that's a fair question: Why are we in this situation? And to the point our first caller, Carrie, made you know why are they so far ahead of us in Europe with regard to these rapid tests back with more in just a minute WTMJ W277 CV and WKTI
2: HD2 Milwaukee from the annex wealth management studios this is news radio WTMJ a good
3: karma brand station
0: welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ
3: Here's a text Jeff there's a testing station in Delafield on Monday when the temperature was in single digits, the line wrapped around the building. Mind you, the people all had to stand outside. The door was left open. Some people had little kids with them. I couldn't believe people were willing to stand out there for any amount of time. You know, that is the ul- ultimate irony. You're thinking, well, I, I want to get tested to see if I have COVID. I don't have any symptoms, but I'm going to stand outside in you know sub-zero wind chills for 20 or 30 minutes <laughs> to get tested. So yeah, I it- turn out I don't have COVID, but I've caught pneumonia while I'm I'm doing that. And again, I'm. I think there's a there's a value, of course, to testing, but like he's saying, we, we've got to make it easier. We've got to make the results quicker, or people just aren't going to do it. John on the North Side, John. Good afternoon.
0: Hey Jeff.
2: Hi
3: John. Uh,
0: yeah, my wife had yeah, hi. my wife had COVID a couple of months ago, and um, she was in the hospital. And what happened was, I um, I, I wouldn't had a test. A rapid test, right? And and it cost me sixty. It cost me sixty seven dollars, uh, uh, out of my pocket. I had to pay because I wanted it right away. Fifteen, well, I was negative, so that was good, right? And then um, when she got out of the when she got out of the hospital, but they kept saying she got it. That she don't have, you know, so they let her out of the hospital. And I took her right away to where I went, and then she was negative, you know. And right. um, but I was out of another six seven dollars, <laughs> yeah. so I needed to know. Yeah. <laughs> and we're both, we're both vaccinated. We got all three shots.
3: Yeah, yeah. But it, but see, I mean, I guess that's the thing, John. In your case, you know, your wife is, is sick. She's in the hospital, so you want to be able to get in and see her. You want to have those testing, so you spend the money. But I guess the thing is, for a lot of people, they're not going to shell out $67 or anything close to that. They're going to just say, well, I'm, go- I'm going to ride right, yeah. it out. Yeah. No, I mean, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I'm glad your, your wife recovered there. it's It's – and – I understand that, you know, insurance is going to cover the cost of the rapid tests if you've got if you've got insurance and things like that. And, and that's all good. But we, we shouldn't be in this position. And again, I, a lot of the criticism, I, I think, of President Trump downplaying covid in the early stages. I think that was fair. But at the same time, I I think it's also fair to say, all right, you know, Trump's been gone for, you know, a year now, and we we saw a lot of these things coming, and in many respects, we're no more prepared today – for where we are in the battle of COVID, appreciating that's changed than, than we were when this first thing, this whole thing started, which is again one of the reasons it's interesting to me that you see now the, the shift that's going on among medical professionals who are, have now stopped talking about well, we, we don't need to be concerned. We shouldn't talk about the number of people who are going to, who, who have COVID because, as Dr. Fauci said yesterday, he thinks everybody's going to get it at some point in time with this new variant. We need to start talking about the the number of people who are vaccinated who are in the hospital and all which is again the reason why people should in fact get vaccinated and I, I get I get tired of having this debate as well because yes I think the new data would tend to indicate that if you are vaccinated and boosted. It's not a guarantee that you're not going to get the new variant, but it is pretty much assurance that if you get it, you're not going to be really sick. And isn't that worth it at the end of the day? All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back after the news, we're scheduled to be joined by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. We're going to talk about his decision to run for reelection and some of the controversial issues that will be dogging him during the campaign. Stick around. <laughs>
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show.
3: And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. We are joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, who announced over the weekend that he is running for a third term. Senator Johnson, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, hope you're doing well. I am well as also. Well, so you're in. Senator, here's what I'd like to do during this interview. Um, since we announced you were coming on, I have literally been swamped with texts from people wanting me to address certain issues. And I know you feel that you have not gotten fair treatment in the coverage of certain issues. So I'd like to talk about a couple of those things first before we move into other aspects of the reelection campaign, if that's okay with you. Sure. All right. Let, let's start with with vaccinations. What one of the things that I hear from a lot of people is that, oh, you know, Ron Johnson is this anti-vaxxer. He's anti-science. H- how could anybody support that? Senator, where are you on the question of, of vaccinations?
4: I'm clearly not anti-vax. I've had every vaccine until the COVID vaccine. I didn't get it because I, I had COVID. So I have natural immunity. I was a big Support of Operation Warp Speed. I was the champion of Right to Try, which gives people the freedom working with their doctor to access a drug that's not fully FDA approved. And those are vaccines. So I'm, I'm happy to have uh, people decide for themselves without coercion, no pressure, no mandates to take the vaccine. And it seems like, uh, although I haven't seen the data backing this up, it seems like the vaccines do uh, help prevent severity of symptoms. Potentially death, But unfortunately, unfortunately, the vaccines are not as effective or as safe as we all hoped and prayed they would be. And that's also the fact. And so just the fact that I've allowed people a forum to talk about their vaccine injuries, I get viciously attacked. I'm just trying to provide people truthful information so they can make an informed choice whether or not they want to get vaccine for themselves. Now, I will say I'm utterly opposed to per- vaccinating children who have a very, um, an almost uh, infinitesimal risk of being harmed by COVID. Now, some children immune compromised, you know, again, it might be appropriate, but for the vast majority of children, I, I think n- because Jeff, nobody, nobody can tell you what the long term safety profile are of these vaccines. This is a completely new platform, this isn't a standard vaccine. And we, we, we did not take the time for the observational trials. So all I've been trying to do is provide people the full information they need for fully informed consent, and our health agencies have not been transparent. I've been attacked for it. There's an agenda here. I mean, it's the agenda of Big Pharma. You'll notice that the FDA the CDC, they, they have not recommended any drug that is cheap, widely available, available, or generic. Everything that they've recommended is a novel drug costing, you know, thousands of dollars, for example, uh, with remdesivir, uh, monoclonal antibodies. Uh, now, Paxlovid and Molnupiravir rush through an emergency use authorization. While they trash very safe, widely available drugs like ivermectin, uh, hydroxychloroquine, but there's also budesidine. There's a cornucopia of drugs that have been available for early treatment. That should have been promoted, robustly researched, offered, four months. Here we are almost two years in this pandemic and we still don't have early treatment being recommended by or researched by our healthcare agencies. As a result, you know we're spending tens of billions of dollars in tests and then if you test positive, the CDC tells you do nothing. Yep. Go home afraid alone. I, th- I think this is insane. Every other disease that's early detection allows for early treatment, provides better results. We're just telling people no early treatment. Wait till you get so sick you go in the hospital and then and we're really not doing a whole heck of a lot for even there in hospital. Remdesivir is an antiviral. By the time you get that in the hospital, the, vitals, the virus is done replicating. Now it's getting into the secondary and tertiary stage of the disease. So, again, I'm sorry. Our health care agencies have not been transparent. I don't think they've been honest. I've been, I've been transparent. I've been just providing people information, information and truth that the, the Big Pharma and, and other agencies and and. I call them the covid gods in the media and the social media. don't want people to hear
3: Now, Senator. Just so we're we're clear, then, with the exception of of the the children that you just talked about, have you ever and would you ever discourage people who make the decision that they want to get vaccinated or boosted from getting vaccinated and boosted?
4: I try and provide people information so they can make an informed consent in my own family. I've got some of my family members have gotten vaccinated. Others haven't.
3: Got it. I,
4: I let that up to the individual. I'm, again, I'm not a doctor providing recommendations. What I am is a public official trying to get information to people so they can make their own decisions.
3: Mm-hmm. Senator, one of the other issues that, that that's out there, and a lot of your opponents bring up, is a, a charge and a challenge that uh, the the January sixth incident in the Capitol that you you downplayed it. And there was, I know, an, an interview that you gave about a year ago where you, you, you used the phrase, it didn't seem like an armed insurrection to, to you. Um, as you look back on this, how do you view what happened on, on January
4: 6th? I felt repugnant, the violence. I, and I said that at the time. I condemned it at the time during the violence when I saw what was going on. I condemned it repeatedly. I, I condemned all violence, including the violence in the summer riots. But I also pushed back on the entirely false narrative, and it was an entirely false narrative that there were thousands of armed insurrectionists. There weren't. You know in total, there are about eight hundred some people that you know illegally entered the capitol. About three hundred of those, by the way, as my investigators found this out, entered through a door that was open from the inside in the West Terrace. So there weren't thousands of armed insurrectionists. Now, I realize the summer protests did teach everybody how you can use flagpoles and other things as weapons. But most people, when you think armed, you think of firearms. And I asked the FBI witness at our committee hearing how how many firearms were confiscated on the Capitol or on Capitol grounds. Her testimony was zero. Now, later on, we found out there were a few firearms confiscated somewhere from people that participated, but nothing in the Capitol, nothing on the Capitol grounds, according to that FBI agent. So again, I was pushing back on the false narrative as the left, as the media was trying to paint everybody that attended that protest, exercising their First Amendment rights as potentially domestic terrorists. Quite honestly, that's what trying to paint everybody that voted for uh Donald Trump is a domestic terrorist. I'm pushing back on that false narrative.
3: Again, just so we're clear, though, Senator, that the phrase you used at first was was repugnant. Uh, some people are saying, well, you know, Ron Johnson in, in endorsed what happened at the Capitol or tried to downplay it. I did. You, you reject that completely, right?
4: Absolutely. I was, again, I was, I was actually on a radio show, and the radio host saying, I hope they sit in the Capitol. I said, no, that's right, part company with you. Just because they did it in Madison for weeks, and the press looked the other way and cheered them along. I reject that. I don't think people should be entering the Capitol illegally. Not, nobody should engage in violence or the racial slurs, those repulsive, repugnant. I condemned it repeatedly. The news media just doesn't cover it, Jeff. And I hope a conservative audience will realize that the news media is not honest. You know, they lie. They distort. They are part, they are the communication apparatus of the Democrat leftist party.
3: Senator, one of the other things that in, in some respects led up to what, what happened at the Capitol on January 6th was the, the, the election. And let, let, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, is there any doubt in your mind, first of all, that the election results were legitimate and that Donald Trump legitimately lost the, the presidency?
4: Well, let me tell you, first of all, there were definitely irregularities. Observers not able to observe, you know. Big Democrat counties like Milwaukee that historically can't get the counts, the votes counted until they know exactly how many votes they need to count, which whether anything goes wrong or not, it's just not, it makes people suspicious, okay? So there are plenty of irregularities that need to be looked at and examined, and I did that in the hearing. At the same time, leading up to January 6th, I was repeatedly on media saying that I saw no circumstance, no scenario whatsoever that any of Joe Biden's electors would be disallowed the minute the, the minute that the electoral college declared joe biden the winner i viewed him as the president-elect so again that, that's my record it was out there you know i said these things publicly the media doesn't cover that they accuse me of all kinds of things asked me to resign or be expelled from the senate for doing half of what barbara boxer did with their support back in 2004 i, I felt we should have a discussion on january 6th about unelected officials, you know, elected courts, you know, election officials, usurping the authority of the state legislatures as saying the times, places, and matters of the election. And so I supported Ted Cruz's objection to the Arizona electors because the Ninth Circuit came and overturned a 30-year law on the book passed by the state legislature. I thought we should at least have a discussion about that. Maricopa County wasn't following the direction to, to examine the results. From the state senator, set, Senate, the legislature. That's the constitutional authority that lies in the legislature. So I thought that was a debate we should have. There's nothing the wrong with debate, but I completely condemn the violence of January 6th.
3: Senator, let's switch gears. You, you, you're in the process of completing your second six year term. Why, why do you think you deserve to be reelected to a third six year term?
4: Well, first of all, the reason I'm doing it is because our nation's in peril. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I sat in the inauguration uh, of, of President Biden where he said his number one goal is to unify and heal this nation. He's done the exact opposite. I mean, his exhibit one of that is his, his speech yesterday, unbelievably divisive from the President of the United States. I think I have no doubt that I'm the best person for the job. There, there are very few people here in Washington, D.C., who don't? Who's, whose primary motivation isn't getting reelected? I think people recognize that about me. Um, I'm there to actually do something. For example, champion your right to try. Were it not for me, the vast majority of American businesses wouldn't have gotten a tax cut. I'm, I'm the one against my own party, against my own president, saying, "No, I'm not going to vote for this tax uh, bill until you provide some tax relief for small businesses for pass-through entities." So. You know, I've learned a lot in 11 years. I've also asked a lot of questions, got some answers, exposed quite a bit of wrongdoing. And quite honestly, right now we have a lack of confidence in so many institutions. Quite honestly, a justified lack of confidence. Because government agencies, the media, social media, they're not transparent. They've not been honest with people. And we need to restore that confidence. Because it 's not sustainable in a free democracy where people can't have faith in these institutions that we rely on in in a republic
3: Senator I understand that that given divided government right now um, it, it's difficult to in, it's difficult for somebody particularly in your situation as a Republican senator in a 50 50 Senate to a- advance agenda items but are, are there In the event you are reelected next November, are there one or two top priorities that you would have that you would like to see get through the Senate? Well,
4: again, I think you take a look at what actually works. So some of the stuff with, with the Democrat president is going to be stopping things like increasing taxes, increasing regulation. So why was our economy so successful before the COVID recession? It's because we actually stopped adding to the regulatory burden. We reduced it somewhat. We set up a more competitive tax system. You have to, prior to the Code recession, we had a record economy, record low levels of unemployment throughout almost every demographic group. So you look to that success. So, unfortunately, when you have a Democrat who's not a moderate, who's a radical leftist, somebody who's dividing us, when he's in office still, you're going to you have to be a no vote. So you don't increase taxes. So you, you try and restrain the growth in, in regulatory agencies to overburden our, our business sector. So, yeah, you know, again, it's, it's maybe not a the, the great thing. But, you know, moving forward, you know, I, I'm always going to be promoting more freedom, allowing the American public to keep more of their hard-earned money and try and promote economic growth and opportunity. I, mean, that's, I think we were pretty successful doing that prior to the COVID recession. And that's certainly what I'd want to concentrate on moving
3: forward. What is, Senator, if you could point to one accomplishment over the last 12 years, what would, what would be one of the things, that, what would be the thing that you are proudest of,
6: say?
4: I think the two by far most consequential things are right to try, providing a little bit of freedom, a little bit of hope for people that uh, have no further hope uh, with terminal illness. But that has spillover effects. It, it should have resulted in right to treat. Uh, allowing doctors to practice medicine during COVID. And it's it's had an impact. I know it saved lives. Plus, I think the the fact that it was my singular action that made sure that every small business also got a tax cut in the 2017 tax reform is a pretty big deal. I I don't think there are very many U.S. senators that can point to such a significant accomplishment as that. Plus, as chairman of Homeland Security, we did pass and have signed a law, like 130 bills. Now, again, they didn't solve all the problems, but they focused on things like cybersecurity, EMP, GMD, the countering the, the countering the malign use of drones. So, I've, I've got a pretty strong record of accomplishment uh, in my uh, first two terms, and I would continue that that experience I gained. And I, again, I, I have no doubt that I'm the best person for the job. I did, did, from my, in my mind, the only question is, as much as I'd like to retire. I think our nation is just heading in the wrong direction, and we need people like me to turn the ship of state around.
3: To, to that point, Senator, before, before I let you go, I, it's no secret that... I think this is going to be an expensive and a very ugly race. It's already been ugly for the last six months. I, I can't turn on the television without hearing some uh, attack ad against you. And I, I have no doubt that that's going to continue. At, at some point in time, do you ever kind of say, I don't need this? I just, I, I I don't need this aggravation. I don't need the personal attacks. I don't need to spend the next 11 months of my life in, involved in this sort of death struggle over, over this elected office. I, is there ever a temptation to just, to just kind of walk away.
4: Yeah, it's there constantly. You, you, you think my wife wanted me to do this? <laughs> I mean does anybody in the audience really think this is fun? <laughs> Having being a, fall, again, falsely attacked. Relentlessly, day after day. You now we spent millions before I was even a candidate. So I, I noticed their first ad is I mean it for myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a masochist. <laughs> no, I'm doing this, Jeff, you know, you know me well enough. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this because I dearly love this country. I love the American people. I love the folks of Wisconsin. Our nation is on a very dangerous path. I don't think people realize what a tenuous situation we're in. Again, when, when legitimately people have lost so much confidence in so many of these institutions of government, but just, you know, the media and social media, we need to restore that confidence. We have to. And again, I, again I'm here. I see this function. I see the primary, primary motivation factor of so many people, is just get reelected, you know, just get along. Now, obviously that's not my, my motivation factor. My, my motivating factor is I truly respect the genius of our founding fathers, what they have given us, what our, is our duty to pass along to our children, freedom, the ability to dream, aspire, build and create this marvel we call America. I think that's at risk. So I stepped up the plate in 2010 because I was concerned about this nation. I'm more concerned. I am. I'm more concerned. I, I stepped up the plate then. Can I walk away? I mean, I ask that in my head. I mean, if you're in a position to help improve things, would you walk away? I decided I can't, Jeff. It's, it's really that simple.
3: Senator Johnson, thanks for joining me this afternoon. I'm sure we'll have opportunities to talk over the course of the next 10 months. Stay well. Take care. Well, you as well. That's uh, Senator Ron Johnson. Let's take a quick break.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
3: My favorite part of our conversation with with Senator Ron Johnson was towards the end there, where you know, we were talking about the the, the the incredibly negative tone that this race is, is going to have. And I said, you know what, do you ever want to kind of walk away from this? And I, I, I love the line where he said, do you think my wife likes this? <laughs> I, was, I, I, I just... I, I was I was kind of mirroring that because there was a a time in the not too distant past, and I I think my political career is way past me. But you know, my wife and I were having a conversation. She said, "Is there any elected office that would ever interest you?" And I I said, "Well, maybe there there would be this 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 one, but you know, it's it's not open right now." And I and and she just just kind of looked at me and said, <laughs> "Melissa Barkley, you know, Fran just looked at me and she yeah. was kind of like. Explain to me why (laughs) you would possibly do Mm. something like that at this stage of of your life where, you know, you've you've got all these things that you like to do and you've got all these things that you want to do. Explain to me why why you would even consider you're just any sort of political thing. (laughs) It's and, and it just it just you know, so I was I was actually kind of chuckling because his reaction was exactly like my wife's reaction was, which is, Why would you even (laughs) think about doing? Why would you think about dragging ourselves into something like this? And and I said, yeah. At the end of the day, you're 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 probably right. So that's you know. But you, you kind of understand that. So there's there is Ron Johnson unedited, and I understand that there's there's people who hear what they want to hear, and there's people who are unsatisfied with his, you know, positions on on the vaccines, for example. And that's why I asked him right out of the box, do you consider yourself to be an anti-vaccine? He said, no, i no, I'm not. But he said, at the same time, I, I think we've, you know, also just pushed the vaccines at the expense of maybe some of these other treatments that were out there. And we talked about a number of the issues as well. And I'm sure we're going to have a chance to do it. The other thing for people out there who write off Ron Johnson, um, people All I can tell you is people wrote him off, said he had no chance to beat Russ Feingold in 2010, had no chance to beat Russ Feingold in 2016. I know there's people saying, oh, he's got no chance to get reelected. Well, I, I, first of all, it all depends on who runs on the other side. And keep in mind, none of these alternatives have really been subject to any degree of scrutiny at all on various issues. And I know over the course of the campaign, whoever the ultimate challenger is, they're going to come under a lot of scrutiny. And I suspect that once people find out where the parties are on the issues, well, they, they might you know, rethink where they are now. Listen, one of our textors says, My wife told me that if I ran for office, I would run as a single man. <laughs> yeah, that's good.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. That's well, your platform. <laughs> well,
3: that, that's it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, no, or, or more, it's more like, yeah, oh, if gonna... I ran for office, I'd get divorced. <laughs> I really don't want to get divorced. That's some, um, it, it is, again, politics aside, it's, it's kind of a, it's a real ugly situation now. And you do wonder, you know, why, why people, go through this type of stuff. And I understand there's some people who are very ambitious and things like that, but it's kind of like... Why, why put yourself well, through some of this? stuff? I mean, stuff?
2: We, we see Tommy Thompson. He's just really ambitious, right? He's getting done with the UW system and he's got mm-hmm. other well, that, aspirations. That,
3: no, that's, that's, I said no. this earlier, that's clickbait, uh, you know, for for Channel 12. Be. No, it yeah. is. It's it, to, <laughs> Tommy Thompson. Well, look, I... But I, see, I, he's I, just I, saying that he's physically and oh, mentally... Oh, well, absolutely. No, and, and Tommy, I mean, I, right, I get it. I mean, I've, I, I mean, I was on the ticket with Tommy in 1994 and he's kind of a force of nature and he's a fun sort of guy and I mean, I understand, you know, somebody, some reporter Says, well, would you ever think of doing this? There's no base. Why why would you say no? I'd never do that. But realistically, that's he he was the governor for four terms. I I think that's a generational thing. But yeah, he's. Matter of fact, at our at our holiday show, you know, he was one of the guests, and I, he and I, we we talked for about 15 minutes, and he had told me that he was stepping down from the the UW system, so he'd given me a heads up on that. And I said, well, what's next? Yeah, I got a lot of stuff. I'm just, I'm not the retiring type. I don't like to play golf and things like that. So I'm sure. He will do something fun, but I, I don't. I don't think getting back into the world of politics is it.
2: Well, I did like his campaign, the Smash COVID campaign. That yeah. was fun. Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> yeah.
3: he's, he, he's a four. And actually, I mean, when you think back about the the Wisconsin governors, he 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 was the governor. I mean, he got like sixty-five plus percent of the vote. I won it well over sixty percent of the vote, certainly in that ninety-four election. I mean, there was a period of time in the nineties and where where his, his popularity was just off the, the charts and and he had a lot of support among Democrats and unions and things like that. He was really able to unite people in a way that, you know, no governor has been able to do since then and and, you know regardless of how you feel about jim doyle or scott walker or or tony evers it's just he was able to unite people in a way that you haven't seen in a long time it was just it was an amazing political time and tommy is a force of nature okay when we come back what's the problem with turning loose criminals we'll discuss welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj it's just a a quick programming note. i'm taking a couple days off now I'm not sick, no COVID related. Whenever you're gone, especially when you're a COVID, people are you sick or whatever? No, I'm just, this has been planned for quite a while and just taking Thursday and Friday off. And then Monday is a company wide holiday. It's actually what the national holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. So I will be back on, on Tuesday. So Scott Warris, I think, filling in for me for a couple of days. So be nice to, be nice to Scott. This, I, I want to be clearly understood. With what I'm about to say, because I understand some people are going to hear what what they want to say, what they want to hear. I think John Chisholm, the district attorney in Milwaukee County, is a complete and total disaster. I believe he is unfit for office. I believe that what he has done to the district attorney's office has been one of the things that has contributed to the out-of-control crime rate in Milwaukee County. And by the way, I think that there's some former assistant district attorneys that would agree with me on that. So I, I think his policies are an absolute disaster. At the same time, it is no secret I mean, Chisholm, since 2007, has been very, very upfront about where he is on what I would term his soft on crime approaches. I mean, he's, he's very much like the new district attorney that was elected in New York City who, who wants to make prosecution, uh, pro- uh, incarceration, that is putting people in jail, a matter of the last resort and and who wants to have a presumption against sending people to jail or prison, unless it's stuff like murder or armed robberies or things like that, some of the most extreme cases. The policy of John Chisholm is to bend over backwards, to take people who, in my opinion, are repeat criminals who are incorrigible, and put them back out on the streets to continue to prey on the general public. The fact that we had over 10,400 car thefts in the city of Milwaukee alone last year it is just, I think, evidence of that. We do not treat car thefts, thieves, with any degree of significance at all. And if it's a juvenile car thief, my God, they're, they're just, they're, they're lucky if they sit in detention for four or five hours before they're put back out on the street to steal another car. The DA's office would never consider waving them into adult court unless one of the uh, little darlings who stole in the car, driving 95 miles an hour, blows through a red light and hits and kills a couple people while fleeing from the police. In that case, maybe, maybe they think about waving him into adult court. So John, John Chisholm has been, in my opinion, a complete and total disaster, and it is a. Um, If he runs again in 2024 and is reelected by the voters of Milwaukee County, that tells you all you need to know about where the voters of Milwaukee County are. So and and that's been my position for years. It's just terrible what's been going on in the district attorney's office. Now, having said all that, mark the tape here. I think Tony Evers is right in his decision not to remove, use his powers as the governor to remove John Chisholm. Now, Evers is kind of trying to hide behind a legal opinion that says that the, the petition that was filed to ask him to remove Chisholm, which was legally deficient. That's I think that's kind of a weaselly way out of this, because let's face it, Tony Evers is very, very sympathetic to a lot of the issues that John Chisholm feel. I think they're very much aligned on a lot of issues related to crime. In addition, Tony Evers is never going to, as a Democrat himself, running for reelection this year, he's never going to... Remove a powered, powerful Democrat district attorney in the in one of the two most populated Democratic uh, counties in in the state. He's not going to pick that fight, so he was never going to do it. So the the reason that they're giving for him not removing Chisholm is well, I, I've got this legal opinion that says that the petition was was faulty. Well, okay, you could resubmit the petition. And you could change the language a little bit. And Tony Evers still wouldn't do it. So wh- why do I say I don't fault Chisholm? Well, well, here's the deal. Under state law, a governor can remove a district attorney for inefficiency, neglect of duty, official mal- misconduct, or malfeasance in office, which to me means either not doing your job at all or it means doing your job in a crooked way. And, and that's, not, that's not Chisholm. I mean, Chisholm is doing what he said he would do. He said he was going to release people. He said he was going to bend over backwards not to put people in jail. He said in 2007 that as a result of his policies, people would be let out who would kill people. And he was willing to live with it. So it's not like this is a surprise. This is what people in Milwaukee County voted for. And I don't think the governor should be removing people because, well, you know, it's a bad thing. These policies of John Chisholm are coming home to roost and it's a huge problem, but I don't think that's what this statute is for. This statute is for removing elected officials who um, either are crooks or that just decide that they're not going to show up and do their job. Chisholm is doing his job. Now, I would argue he's doing his job incredibly badly. If you want to remove John Chisholm, this is why elections have consequences. First of all, people should be gearing up now to run in 2024 if he runs again. Secondly, I'm not advocating this, but there's always the possibility of a recall election that's there. I don't think a recall would get anywhere because it's Milwaukee County, and I'm not convinced that there aren't a good chunk of citizens in Milwaukee County who really don't have a problem with John Chisholm's turn them loose philosophy. But, you know, that that's the remedy. It's either a recall if people decide to do it because they're outraged enough about what's happened, or it's voting him out in 2020 So mark the tape. I don't criticize Tony Evers for not removing Chisholm. It's a disgrace that he's still in office, but elections have consequences.
0: Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this on WTMJ.
3: That's okay. Jeff Wagner is back right now. Um, this has to hurt. Now, look, I, I understand that the state of polling is just all, all over. And I understand some people are real skeptics and other people still believe. And I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in, in between. I think polling in general is pretty accurate, except when it comes to Donald Trump, who sort of defies the, the pollsters here. But th- this has to hurt. The, the Quinnipiac poll, which is again, one of the mainstream polls that, that's out there, just came out with its new numbers. <sighs> Joe Biden approval rating. 33% approve, 53% disapprove. Whoa. That's, I, I i did not have a moment to check to see where Trump is, but I, that that might be lower than, than Donald Trump ever polled, and, and he was, of course, very controversial. Here's the other interesting thing about the numbers. In the November poll, where they asked the, the same thing, 87% of Democrats approved of his job performance, 7% disapproved. In this poll, Seventy five percent of Democrats approved, 14 percent disapproved. So he he lost he, he, he lost 12 points. Democrats were pretty much united behind him, 87 percent in November, and, and, and he lost 12 percent of them. Now, that might not sound significant to you. Oh, you still got, you know, 75 percent of Democrats. But but that's that's your base. And given the fact that you're going to have a very, very low approval rating among Republicans, and you're not really doing well right now among independents, to lose that many Democrats... It is a big deal doesn't mean you can't get them back no no question about it it's still early but those numbers man, they gotta hurt all right when we come back we'll find out what john mccure and melissa barkley have on their minds for wisconsin's afternoon news wtmj w277
2: cv and wkti hd2 milwaukee from the annex wealth management studios this is news radio wtmj a good karma brand station back for more here's wtmj's
3: jeff wagner so glad to have you with us. Like I said, I'm taking a couple of days off. I will be back uh, on the air on Tuesday. But a lot of stuff coming up before that. John McHugh, you got three hours of the big show today. Yeah,
6: we got three hours, Jeff. Okay, so one of the things we're going to dive into this afternoon I wanted to ask you about. So there's a new survey out. I'm not going to give the results of the survey away yet. But the question asked is, what's your favorite thing to do? What's your guilty pleasure when you have an evening alone without your spouse in the house? now i ask you this because you and i actually talk about this sometimes yeah yeah you know so fran is out with the girls she's busy maybe she's out for dinner she's going to not be back till 10 or 11 o'clock at night how are you spending the evening that maybe you normally wouldn't if fran was there and you were hanging out together i'm i'm
3: i'm in front of the te- the big screen television set <laughs> i'm i'm watching some streaming service that that has some sort of stupid violent <laughs> sexy sort of thing that's on that it wouldn't necessarily be family affair. You know, did she walk in and say... Why are why are you watching The Witcher? What is going yeah. on here? And that, yeah. that, oh, Melissa
6: you came. and I are very similar, yeah. because mine is, okay, it's something maybe to do with Alaska. It's some guys that haven't shaved in four right, weeks yeah. that are digging for something up right, there that exactly. Michelle would have no interest in right. watching. Yeah, Gold but Rush. Am, yep. I'm parked in front of the TV yeah. watching what I want and eating what I want. Maybe it's a frozen pizza, oh. something unhealthy.
3: Yeah, exactly. Right? That's you, you, it. you stop off, you pick up Taco
6: Bell, you do something like that. Yeah. yeah absolutely. No, I'm with you. Well, so there's a very interesting survey about what people do what their guilty pleasure is when their spouse is out of town for the (laughs) night so we're going to share that we're going to open up the phone lines that should be a little bit of pretty harmless i
3: mean that's pretty tame (laughs) i I, I guess i I was going to say i mean if you're thinking about where you could be going with this that's a pretty tame one you know (laughs) we want to sit and drink beer and watch tv you know nobody
6: gets in trouble with what we're going to be doing Uh, also you had an interview with ron johnson today that was very interesting that happened about an hour ago Uh, you'll hear some of that throughout the day and then paul farrow He's now the chairman of the Republican Party in Wisconsin, in addition to being the executive, the county executive in Waukesha County. He's going to join us at 450 and kind of talk through what the governor's race, the Senate race, a couple of other things look like for Republicans as we head deeper into 2022. So, Paul Farrell will be with us coming up at 450 this afternoon. We'll have a little bit of fun with new flavored Oreos that are out today. We're going to talk about that. Plus, mark tausher is our packers insider i love Taush because he can kind of talk about what it was like the last time the packers went to the super bowl and they had a bye week so tausher will be with us what's
3: the morning. new flavor of oreo or is that a secret do i have to be listening no
6: it's like a sprinkle confetti and it's got white cream and chocolate cream and it's got sprinkles like you see on birthday cakes sprinkled throughout it it actually looks like a bit much i'm i'm a simple guy give me an oreo yeah me you know? too yes, i like the yeah. Oreos. give me some milk i'm set yeah man a good glass of milk with an oreo there's little in the world that's better than <laughs> we, that we are simple guys right? i know we are we, we we're, we're (laughs)
3: We want to watch, you know, you want to watch Gold Rush on the big screen TV. Have a couple of Oreos and chase them
6: down with some beer. Yep, Yep. it's two fifty eight at WTMJ. News of the day: what you need to know straight ahead.